A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, this is Pablo Sabaleta. This is Troy Dini. This is Kevin Phillips. This is Jürgen Klopp, and you're listening to The Big Interview with Graham Hunter. Thank you, Jürgen. I travelled to all these interviews from Barcelona, and our socios, our beloved members, keep us on the road. This independent podcast would not happen without them. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to become a socio, to become one of our members and get an extra big interview every month, plus loads of bonus content. So, go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Graham Hunter, and we'll bring you joy. from Backpage and you're listening to The Big Interview with Graham Hunter and this is our monthly Q&A show. This time we are concentrating on El Clasico as Real Madrid and Barcelona face off twice in quick succession at the Bernabeu. Wednesday in the second leg of the Copa del Rey semi-final of course and then Saturday in La Liga. These questions come from our socios, our members who support the podcast at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter and they also come from our sponsors, who also support the podcast, the guys at Bet365. So let's start with John Nuremberger, who is in Kansas City, Missouri. A lot of our listeners follow you, Graham, I think, because they love Spanish football, right? But I think John represents a sort of quiet constituency who are maybe coming to this game a little bit colder than that. So John writes, for someone who has been a bit out of touch with La Liga for the first half of the season, what's one or two things to keep an eye on? that might be different from previous Classicos, excluding Ronaldo, um, in terms of players' strategy, maybe Yeah, good question, John. Let's start with the home side, maybe, shall we? Over the years, uh, we've seen Isco having various different impacts. Like, for example, when Isco enters the fray in the 5-1, or when he ups his game in the 5-1 defeat of Madrid to Barcelona in the first Liga Clasico this season, which was late October. There was an, a noticeable change in the way that the ball flowed for Madrid, uh, where it moved to. Isco's ability to step past one man and then release a pass was creating holes in Barcelona like, like a wee boy does with his knitted jumper when he gets a little finger into the, the, the part where it's knit one, pearl one, and he pulls away and the hole appears. That's what Isco's capable of. I think if you also go back to 
the 4-0 thrashing which Barcelona gave Madrid in Rafa Benitez's only classical in charge of Madrid. Isco there was a substitute again and was brought on and it was so infuriated, I think not just by the night, but by life under Rafa Benitez that he, I think it was Neymar, he kicked my memory on the night, and it's funny, John, how however much attention you pay, after a few weeks, memory plays big tricks with you, because my memory certainly was that Isco came on and lasted about seven minutes of frustration, kicked, uh, kicked Neymar up the back, said, right, in fact, kicked him up the arse, and there's no other way to say it, and got sent off, red, straight red for it. But it, in fact, he'd been on the pitch, I think, about 30 minutes, 28 minutes, some, something of that order. And Isco's not... You know, I just can't see Isco having a role. He's back He's back nearly in training. We know that he's out of favour because of a variety of reasons. Initially weight, as in trim. There's no way he's fat, but they just... Solari believed that he wasn't in trim. Solari's reinstated fitness coach, uh, Tonio Pintus, didn't think that Isco was working hard enough in training. And therefore, gradually, he fell out of favour when he was brought in. He hasn't done things. Then he got injured. And therefore, the Isco factor, which can definitely... I've named two defeats for Real Madrid. But the Isco factor is certainly something that can give Real Madrid the match tempo and the passing range that can pull things back in their favour. And he's going to be absent. One thing to look out for, particularly, maybe everybody else listening to this knows this, John, maybe they don't, but if you've been focused either on uh, Missouri or Manchester United, whichever it might be, I don't know. Keller Navas began the season with the enormous credit to his name about having been the goalkeeper for the three Champions League victories and largely having been the keeper who was dominant in the position. And the idea was that he and Courtois under Lopetegui were going to interchange positions like Claudio Bravo and Marc-Andre Ter Stegen did in the treble winning season for Barca in 2013-14. And as soon as Solari came in and took over, without it being on, on merit, and I'm not talking about in any way denigrating Courtois, but Kehler had done nothing wrong... Solari did two things. He pleased the president who just promoted him because Courtois was a presidential signing, make no mistakes about it. He promoted Courtois, said you're my out-and-out number one and and demoted Kehler uh, to a degree which initially those senior players, and I mean Ramos, Varane, Marcelo, Benzema, name the senior players you want. They all found that a hard... Even though they're, they're... It's not... Everybody for themselves at Real Madrid, although it can occasionally appear that way. But dressing rooms in elite football are, are, are pretty, how would you call it, self-interested places. But in this instance, there was, they, they kind of, it's the old Ronnie Barker line from you, you're an habitual criminal and you uh, accept imprisonment as one of the risks of your profession. Uh, footballers accept that, friends or, or leading players or players they shouldn't be dropped will be dropped and, and they know it'll happen to them and there's very little mutiny about that but in this instance the, the senior players didn't like the way that Kehler had been treated because he's exceptional now the sop that he's been given by Santi Solari is that as long as he's fit then he will be the first choice in the cup so there'll be a change from what you've got used to in the in recent weeks in the league and in the Champions League in the all being equal, and we're, let's Neil. Should we should we reveal the puppet strings a little bit in that we're recording this when 
both Real Madrid and Barcelona in the shape of Sevilla for the league champions and in the case of Levante in Valencia for the European champions, they've both got big, big matches that can affect form, suspension, injury. But in principle, let's let's start hypothetically, it'll be Kaler. And what else did John ask? He, he asked a little bit about differences from like well, Barcelona, for example. I think it's. I think Luis Suarez made his debut for Barcelona in a classical. I think that when he arrived and he was still banned for taking a chunk out of Giorgio Chiellini in the World Cup, it was several weeks before he could play. My memory is that in twenty, so I said twenty thirteen fourteen for the for the for the treble for Barcelona. It was twenty fourteen fifteen. Pardon me, everybody. And in this instance, it must that means it must have been October twenty thirteen. When Suarez makes his debut, he contributes to an from the right wing to an opening goal for Neymar in a match which eventually goes three uh, one to uh, Real Madrid. Uh, they win pretty comfortably. I think that's an Ancelotti side. In fact, I'm certain that it is. And and Suarez from you know from that moment to this hasn't simply been the best strike partner that Leo Messi has ever had in his life. He's gone on to be, become somebody who kind of seems to take it personally against Real Madrid in that he's played them 13 times total, so 12 times subsequently, and scored nine times. And um, of the 13, he's only lost five. So that doesn't mean that, that, that doesn't say, for example, that, you know, Luis Suarez makes Barcelona invincible, but five wins, three draws, nine goals in 13 total. Now, the reason I'm on that, John, is that. I think that now, without having seen what Valverde does for um, Luis Suarez against Sevilla, I don't think he should play in the cup. So I think on Wednesday that there there should be uh, a means of Barcelona resting a guy who looks, and I think we might come on to this later on, who looks tired. And, And frankly, for Luis Suarez, who can't afford, you know, a, a millimetre of extra weight, there are two or three millimetres of extra weight on him, and it, and it's not out of a lack of professionalism or greed. It's because his knee is pretty screwed up. He's playing on when he should either have a meniscus operation or should take two weeks off. And therefore, I think that the intensity of his training is just taking him that millimetre or two away from the leanness that he needs to be elite. And I think... You know, n- n- not speaking from a Barca point of view, but analytically, if I were in charge, I-, I wouldn't start Suarez in the cup semi-final. I would put him on the bench and wait to see how the game was going. And I think the options there for become uh, either Dembele as a false nine or um, Boteng, whose movement last week in the 1-0 win over Valladolid was at least interesting. And therefore... You know, I think there's a case, John, that maybe Suarez um, doesn't start. And although I don't have the stat in front of me, um, it, it shouldn't be too, too hard to get. Barcelona's record at the Bernabeu recently, barring that 2013-3-1 defeat in the league, which didn't affect eventually Barcelona winning that title and winning the treble, Barcelona's record at, at Real Madrid, particularly in the league, I'm going to read to you. So the last one, the last visit in the league, they won three 0 Barcelona did at the at the Bernabeu. Then um, they won three two, going backwards in time. They won four 0 They were defeated three one. They won four three. 
Um, they lost 2-1. They won 3-1. Their record in the league at the Bernabeu is is really pretty extraordinary. In the Copa del Rey, um, the most recent match was 1-1 at the Bernabeu. Before that, Barcelona won 2-1. Then before that, it was 96-97. It's a 1-1 draw. Overall, including the Champions League victory there, 2-0, Barcelona's appetite for the Bernabeu has been j- just voracious. And they've picked Real Madrid apart one way or the other. Grandstanding, tactically, in athleticism, stamina. And and I kind of see Wednesday as, as potentially breaking that pattern a little bit. I think it's a lot tougher test for Football Club Barcelona. I have a lot of respect for what Solari's achieved so far for Real Madrid. And because you haven't specifically asked me for a prediction, John, I'm not going to give one. But that you asked about changes with recent Clásicos, and recent Clásicos at the Bernabeu have been coloured blaugrana. And um, I have a suspicion that, that if that's to be the case, it'll need a pretty extraordinary performance. And to be honest, all things being equal, I think Madrid have a shouting chance of, um, of reaching the final of the Cup. We'll see, we'll see. OK, John, I hope that answered your question. Um, we've got a lot more to get through, so let's crack on. Here's Ian Boddy. Hola amigos, has the Clásico lost some of its appeal compared to the Pep-Jose clashes and the Ronaldo v Messi years? Graham, as enthralling as this fixture remains, I think, for all of us, I think I know what Ian's talking about. For a while, it seemed like the whole world stopped for this game. Do you think that's still the case today? No, I, I disagree completely, but for constructive reasons in that I understand that when particularly the the you know the piles of chips on either side of the green table when it was the classical wars and you could portray it as Jose against Pep and Messi against Ronaldo that that's fine let, let let's let's pick exactly what Mr B says about the cup um because you know the classical obviously changes because of the fact that um, Ronaldo's now away, no Pep, no Jose Mourinho. But in order to be as popular as it was before Pep and Jose went head to head, it had to have an attraction which is is detached from the principal players. There's a grandeur. There's a tradition. There's a marketability. There's a there's a it's a la mode. And beyond that, I go back to something that I don't think was necessarily true of all time. And I, uh, I'm i not saying I've seen all time, but I, I began to watch classicals long before, you know, they became as fashionable as they are now. And I don't think that they were as replete in brilliant football. I don't think they were as reliable that they would give you something you can't see elsewhere as they as they have been over the last say, 20 years. And I think that element is retained. Anybody who watched the the 5-1 Clasico in La Liga at the beginning of this season will tell you that it was an utterly extraordinary afternoon during which um, Real Madrid could easily have taken the lead and substantially have taken the lead before Barcelona turned on the burners and went from 2-1 to 5-1. And I think that... If I'm going to, I, I hear what you and Ian are both saying, but I, I you know, I think that the, the Copa is slightly easier to, to distance yourself from, and also I think that it's it's genuinely unfortunate that um, although eleven sports have put um, a good deal of um, 
interesting thought into how they present games on, on a tablet or a phone and you can cast it to your television. They've discovered that the, the, the market's not ready for that yet and, and the customer always speaks most loudly. Yet the absence of La Liga on what you would like to call now, instead of, what do you call it when it's terrestrial, it went satellite and with Sky, even though you had to pay for Sky, Sky made a gigantic effort and, and made gigantic leaps in popularising the Classical in the UK, where John wasn't, but I know Ian is. And the absence of, of the La Liga on your traditional TV set does make a difference. And frankly, Ian, it's just my opinion, I think that has made more of a difference than the fact that Ronaldo's not there anymore. And also because it's the Copa, I don't think people... I think the love for the Copa del Rey ebbs and flows. Now, where I think it's become hugely important is that because Real Madrid are significantly behind in La Liga, and although until last week it looked as if they might be able to close down Barcelona, and maybe they still do, but I think that the emphasis on Real Madrid, who lost the Supercopa at the beginning of the season to Atleti, the European version, who now look in difficulties to, to actually win the title, and albeit that they look as if they should be able to dispatch Ajax at home, it's still a tie in the Champions League. It's vital for them to win this. Vital for them to win this in terms of getting to the Copa final and having a chance to win that. Vital for them, I think, in terms of preparation for Saturday in La Liga, where, you know, the level of how vital can you... What adjective can I attach to vital to make it seem clearer that without beating Barcelona in the Clasico, that genuinely is the end of the league champ, uh, chances. So I think that in this instance, the... The attractiveness, the value, the quality of the game uh, this Wednesday uh, goes up. And even though there will be some changes of personnel, I think that we will see sufficient storylines. But above all, Ian, in my opinion, I'm not trying to sell it. This is certainly how I, f- how I feel about it. We w- you'll turn on whatever device around the world you want to watch the class go on on Wednesday night and you'll see quality. It's as simple as that. And I think you'll see more sustained quality across 90 or 120 minutes and penalties than you will normally see in a year of football in other leagues. Fantastic. We're going to take a quick break now. Coming up, more of your Classical questions for Graham. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And we're coming back with a question from socio Adam Kennedy. And I think that's a new name in the Q&A. So thank you, Adam, for getting involved. Adam writes... In recent years, it feels like the Clasco has become a global event, much like a heavyweight title fight with everyone interested, regardless of football affiliation. Has this had an impact, Graham, on the intensity of the crowds inside the ground, say with more tourist tickets being sold? And do the teams still approach it in the same way, I guess, if that's the case? That, that's absolutely right, uh, Mr. K. Um, it's, it's quite an unusual phenomenon. I know that... If you go and watch football in Italy or Germany or England, just to pick a few, I'm, I'm less sure of this in France, you, you will see, um, and, and I adore this, I absolutely adore this, as you walk around the big stadiums in Spain, but I mean, particularly the big three, but not exclusively, you will see every type of skin colour. You will hear wildly varying accents, and languages, ages, creeds, colour, you will see um, families from far-flung countries having come to Spain, with, whether it be grandparents. You can sometimes see three generations. You'll see you drunken young men on stag parties. You'll see guys from countries that have got nothing to do with Spain wearing, proudly wearing the tops of the team they support. You'll see just football tourists who are like taking in, uh, you know, I love the smell of Spanish football in the morning. Um, This is my weekend. Next weekend, it'll be Bath against Gloucester or whatever it might be. And and I like that. I don't like um, when that predominates in a stadium for people who are simply there for a one-off thrill and don't sing and and don't react and, and want to do nothing other than take photos or films. I'm not a great fan of the filming and taking photos I, I respect the idea that if you spent hundreds of dollars or hundreds of thousands of yen or whatever it might be whatever currency it might be to come to now we're talking about a classical I know then you want souvenirs that's that is fine that's great but I, I like football fans who interact with the match in in, in a vocal way um, that's always where my respect lies and what I would say to you now is that at both grounds but most particularly the Bernabeu the modern idea that there are so many disparate fans there and so many corporate fans there that what people of my age grew up with, you know, natural crowds singing and reacting and chanting and taunting and roaring and getting angry, that, that has changed, if not always diminished, but changed. There is a singing section, and in the Bernabeu it's particularly successful. It looks almost Korean or Japanese in, its, in, its, in how it's, it's choreographed it's fantastic. They all turn up wearing brilliant fluorescent white. And I have to say, I really like it. And therefore, what you're guaranteed, whether you're at that game or you're watching on TV, it'll be noisy. Now, the, the trouble of both classicals is that it's normally monochrome. And those who have been socials for a long time, inevitably, will hear me bumping on about the same things because I believe them. And one of the most extraordinary, or two of the most extraordinary classicals I've been to were... 
the cup final of 2011, where in the Mestalla, I mean, there have been other classical finals, but the one that struck me was in the Mestalla, where the fan base was 50-50 and it was raucous. It was absolutely unbelievable. It, it matched Hamden in its great days when I began to go there in the 70s and 80s. Split down the middle, every Madrid and Barcelona fan that came was there to roar and to sing and to taunt and to react. And it was dramatic. And Ronaldo's winner from, I think, Angel de Maria's cross. He certainly played a 1-2 with Marcelo, so it was one of those two. I'm pretty sure it was Angel de Maria who crossed... They went over Adriano and Pinto was beaten by Ronaldo's header. The noise that day was fabulous. And although it was slightly different, the noise in the Clasico of the semi-final of the Champions League in 2011, because UEFA's rules meant that you had to let, you know, the, per- the percentage of the stadium that was uh, written in UEFA rules that you had to give over to away fans meant that there was about eight or 9,000 Barca fans behind the goal that Leo Messi scored twice in two, once from Afale's cross and once from Sergio Busquets set him up in front of goal with a, you know, with a perfect assist <clears throat> very near the halfway line. Um, the roar of disbelief when Messi scored that second goal after dribbling past six or seven of the Madrid team, that, that, that was startling because it was a roar of, of, of pride and disbelief into the silence of the Madrid fans. So a win for each of the... Classical sides in the two games I'm talking about. But that, those are very different atmospheres from the monochrome atmosphere. Is the fact, I'm sorry, that, you know, at the Bernabeu, there'll be several hundred Barcelona fans. And at the Camp Nou, there are several hundred Madrid fans. And that, that's not my culture. It's not enough. It's the one thing right now that I would instantly change about the, the Classicals, that there, that there would have to be, you know, the sale of four, five, six, seven thousand tickets to, to, to travelling fans so that the noise was balanced, so that the, the, the representation of each club was in the stands were, 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 could be balanced. That aside, I think that um, even the introduction of huge numbers of people from... I mean, I, I have never seen a proper survey done by either club about how many different nationalities it will be in Camp or Bernabeu for a Clasico. But in, in my opinion, from what I hear and see... Um, across how many dozens of classicals? I, I think we're talking about hundreds of different countries, and I, I have to say, I love that. Here's one from our sponsors at Bet365, and specifically your co-host on the Bet365 sofa, Mr. Steve Freeth, who asks, if Clinton's ever branched out to Spain, then Sergio Ramos surely has to be their first port of call in terms of sponsorship. Sergio Ramos... Mascartaske Clintons. Boom, boom. Mascartaske Clintons. This is why this is why we associate with Steve Freeth so serious because he's just a quip a minute. Can Mr. Ramos, Senor Ramos, get through both of these games without being shown a card of any colour? Steve says he'll be odds on he will not be able to achieve that. So we're yet to see a red card in these two games. Steve asks, are you expecting that to change? So why don't we start with Sergio Ramos, but can you also go on to Steve's broader point, which is discipline and red cards in this fixture? Look, for those, I think not everybody studies um, the, 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 the intricacies of, of football in the way that some of us like to. And I've had to be, over my working life, I've had to be educated about things like, you know, refereeing trends. I'm not talking about bias, but sometimes you can predict uh, how a particular referee will act because he's got certain parts of the laws that he interprets more strongly than others. And I think that's fine and fair and human. And 
obviously the, the, the likelihood of a guy scoring against one team or the likelihood of one coach using a particular formation. These nuances, I think, they've certainly made my enjoyment and understanding of football better, but they're not for everybody. So in case this is new to some people, Sergio Ramos has played FC Barcelona 42 times. Now, I think that's an extraordinary number for even a leading world figure of football to play one rival. A couple of them, in fact, exactly two, were for Sevilla. Now, across those 42 matches, any Neil, because we, we, can't, we can't draw Steve straight in there, across those 42 meetings with Barcelona, because we haven't prepped this, Neil, any, you can have a little shot at how many victories Sergio Ramos has had for Sevilla twice and Real Madrid against Football Club Barcelona. 42 matches, how many wins? 42, I'm going to say he's a lifetime loser in that fixture with a bunch of draws thrown in and I'm going to give Sergio 16 wins. You you frightened me for a minute there because I thought you were going to get it right which would have been desperately depressing. 13 wins in 42 meetings with Football Club Barcelona and even though, to answer Steve and for those socios who are still with us and not off eating a, a ripple or a flake... Even though Sergio Ramos is the most sent-off man in La Liga history, with now um, 25 red cards, across the, not Clásicos, because two of them were for Sevilla, across his meetings with Football Club Barcelona, he's been booked 17 times in 42 matches. Now, I'm not smart enough or educated enough to say if that's gigantically out of proportion, but I, I don't find that horrific. I have to say that I've been at games where <laughs> I thought that that total, and I'm a, I'm a huge admirer and fan of Sergio Ramos. I enjoy watching him play. I am willing to pardon him for his excesses because I know my own excesses and my own flaws. And I also know in certain <laughs> circumstances, if the classical was ever unlucky enough to that I, I had been gifted to them as a as a Scot playing for one of the other sides, my yellow and red card count would have been high. <laughs> 17 seems to me in 42 meetings to be not extraordinary, but he's been sent off five times in his 42 games against FC Barcelona. And therefore, what I'm saying is that even though he does kind of like a red card, when you've only won 13 out of 42 matches against your most hated rivals, and when on occasion the the scoreline has been pretty blooming Humiliating because he's participated in a couple of games where he's conceded five, a couple of games where he's conceded four. That must be pretty indigestible, I'd, I'd have thought. And therefore, um, to be carded, uh, odds on, I agree. I, I, I'm not certain if I was in Bet365's shoes that I'd be giving any odds whatsoever uh, because you're buying money there. Red card... Um, well, his red cards, you know, it took a long time for him to be red carded. I think something like 10 matches against Barcelona of that order before he was red carded. And so predominantly thereafter, what began to happen is that he got straight reds. There are two um, double yellows and sendings off, but three straight red cards. He's been booked in three of the last four against um, FC Barcelona. And... I think there's a degree of desperation. Um, he was sent off um, recently. He's going to miss the Levante match. Um, I would argue that there is a a degree of desperation 
in this match that unless Real Madrid are on top, uh, if they're on top, I don't see the reason he is. Like, for example, Neil, he's never been sent off for Spain. Not once. And I think that's pretty remarkable, um, if we're being honest. And, and what my argument is, is that he's got it within his locker to behave himself if he's not, you know, being driven completely mad um, by an opponent or if he hasn't lost his temper, which is what he tends to do. And therefore, and I think, you know, his three red cards in 119 Champions League matches also, it's not quite as powerful a stat as the, as the Spain one, but it does indicate very, very strongly that when the stakes are very high, if he's doing okay, he's got perfect capacity to stay out of the book and stay on the pitch. So I think that the odds of uh, yellow almost guaranteed, um, the odds of uh, a red card will depend very much on the pattern of the game and if his frustration is getting the better of him. And to be honest, if we're approaching midway through the second half of Saturday, the second game on Saturday afternoon, if by chance Barcelona have eliminated Real Madrid from the cup on the Wednesday and are winning or cruising by halfway through the second half on Saturday and it's goodbye to the cup and it's goodbye from him to the to La Liga as well, then I think the odds of... It's not a scenario I expect to see that the, that the, that the, that the games have gone that way, but if they have, then oh my Lord. Okay, uh, we've got time for one more before the end of this part of the Q&A. It comes from a familiar name, a familiar associate in the Q&A. Finley McDonald, hello. Over the years, says Finley, what has been your favourite Madrid win and your favourite Barca win in this fixture? First of all, for everybody who doesn't know Finley, he lives on a skids single. He lives on a nine down, lives on a skids single. That's very interesting. I've often said um, that I hugely enjoyed the victory that Madrid won in that 2011 Cup final. But because I've talked about it a lot on this podcast already, I remember being stunned the day that um, Michael Laudrup, having played in a 5-0 win for Barcelona over Madrid, then at the end of his contract, in in a very organised, gentlemanly and, and kind of calm way, changed sides and went and played for um, Madrid, crossed directly the Clasco divide and played in a team that was coached by Jorge Valdano, the Argentinian who won the World Cup in, the, in that Maradona era and who won the title with Real Madrid against the Johan Cruyff, I mean, my hero, against the Johan Cruyff side and the matches weren't covered live just then I don't think my memory is that that either that's the first season of Sky covering La Liga live or I happened to see extended highlights at the time and I remember it really struck me because I was a huge fan of Ivan Zamorano who scored a hat-trick that day Luis Enrique was within months of leaving he was Cruyff's signing to compensate for the fact that the deal with Bordeaux that Cruyff had been uh, constructing to sign Zinedine Zidane was falling apart because there were, from late winter, early spring onwards, there were real murmurings from the crowd, the media, and ultimately Gaspar and Nunez, the vice president and president of Barcelona, that Cruyff wasn't going to make it. And that he would be bumped, and indeed he was bumped, and he, he pulled, he contacted Bordeaux and Zidane and said, listen, I'm pulling out of this deal because I can't guarantee and I'm, I'm going to be there. But the deal to take 
Luis Enrique on a free had been completed on, on Cruyff's say-so. Yeah, Luis Enrique, typically of him, still playing for Los Blancos that day, competed like a tiger, scored. Loudrop didn't score, but gave, a, a I think, a match-tilting performance in terms of how he opened up the Dream Team, what he knew about his his recent teammates at, Bas- teammates at Barcelona and how to do them damage. And, you know, the teams that day, if I remember correctly, included also Kike Sanchez-Flores, Alfredo Di Stefano's godson, who went on to coach Valencia and Espanyol and Watford and so on. And Yero played, definitely there was a hat-trick for Zamorana, the explosive, extraordinary, incredibly good in the air for such a guy so diminutive, Chilean forward. Um, Sergio Busquets' dad was in goal for FC Barcelona, Guardiola played at least half a game. Stoichkov was sent off. Extraordinary game. So if it weren't the 2011 Copa del Rey final, um, which I enjoyed more than the final when uh, Tata Martino's Barcelona were, were thumped by... Well, outplayed and only beaten 2-1 by um, by Ancelotti's Real Madrid. I, I just didn't think that was quite such a good game, albeit that the goals scored by um, Real Madrid that day were were pretty extraordinary. I'd go for Real Madrid, to, to be honest with you. And there was one game, there was I'm, I'm cheating here, there was one game where, Be- I can't remember the year, but there was one game, uh, Finley, where Beckham, I think, crossed with his left foot for a win at the Camp Nou with Madrid not having won there for, and for donkeys. And I'll tell you now that what I'm buying myself, busking and buying myself time to do is that I, I was at and reporting on, reporting live on, uh, for the Herald, the semi-final of 2002, the Champions League, first leg. De Bosque having taken over midway through the season, I'm pretty... No, that can't be right. De Bosque must have been in charge for a couple of seasons by then, I guess. Yeah, from 2000. And he takes his team to Camp Nou... And Zidane and McManaman both score on breakaways. McManaman is much more the breakaway. Zidane is the is the scooped flick over, I think, the Argentinian Bonano. That was a brilliant counter-attacking display, really cleverly planned by Del Bosque in the season, I guess, that they go on to beat Bayer Leverkusen in the final. I really hope I'm not making that up. That is that is definitely going to be right. I think I've got the year right that it's 2001-2 and they win 2-0, draw the second leg. So if I have to perm Finlay to answer your question, my favourite, let's let Johan Cruyff off the hook. My favourite Real Madrid win is at the camp now in 2001-2. Scorer Steve McManaman and Zinedine Zidane, coach Vincente Del Bosque. There you go. And for Football Club Barcelona, I... Well, pa 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 pa. I, as as utterly outstanding as the five nil um, that Mourinho's team suffered in his classical debut as Roma did, coach, and despite the fact that we'd spent all weekend on the lash with Greg McHugh, uh, Kevin Bridges, the Dandy Danes, my best mate, and my brother Peter, despite the setup for that Monday night game and how superb Barcelona were. The one that impacted me most, the one that will live with me just for the rest of my life, is the classical semi-final of the Champions League in 2011. Messi's performance, the red card for Pepe, Mourinho behaving like a baby, the the build up to it with Puto Amo from Pepco, which 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 camera is is Senor Mourinho's? All of them, I suppose. 
the, the press conference beforehand from both managers, the game, which was astonishing, the the, the Affle making the, the opening goal. Affle, do you remember him? Messi dribbling past six or seven, scoring off his right foot. That's the one. That's that. Those are the two. Those are the two. And strangely, they've both been in the Champions League. And right now, although neither Madrid or Barcelona are through, there remains the prospect that the two Clásicos that we're talking about right now are not, um, albeit that they are the one, two, three, the third and fourth Clásicos of this season. We could yet have a fifth and a sixth. And I think that's something that's never happened before. So were they drawn in the Champions League, then that, that's still a, a, a prospect. But yeah, two Champions League games, there's my choices. At each semi-finals, actually. But that's it for part one of this one, our Classico Q&A with Graham. We're back tomorrow with part two, before the first of the double headers takes place the following day, Wednesday. Wait, 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 Neil, 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 whoa, we can't leave the socios without the answer to the skins question. It's Iona. Thank you for joining us for season 2018-19. We've got huge creative plans for the months ahead, but we do need your help to make them happen. Please go right now to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter and become a socio, become a paying member and get an extra big interview every month plus loads of bonus content. Last season, socios listened to nine exclusive big interviews including Rafa van der Vaart, Troy Deeney, Roberto Di Matteo and loads of me talking about football. The Premier League, the Champions League, Spanish football. I'm sure they enjoyed it and you will too. Support us, join us. Thank you.